Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here, speaking about the politics of sexuality. The country has been uh, glued and um, by the riveting Senate confirmation hearings for Judge Brett Kavanaugh, now the new Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, and the battles, the partisan battles for his confirmation. And then, of course, the last accusation, which almost torpedoed his nomination by Dr. Ford of sexual assault and the back and forth that that has literally polarized, if the country wasn't polarized already, our nation. And in listening to the stories, reading the reports, watching the various accounts, the partisan politics, the different media outlets, the pro-Kavanaugh, the anti-Kavanaugh, the pro-Trump, the anti-Trump, I feel that there's a tremendous glaring element missing from the entire story. And perhaps that is the main story, and that's what drove me to want to speak about this because in very, off, very often, we get so caught up in the symptoms and the smoke that we miss the root of the issue. And in this case, I think it may not be deliberate, but there's also a reason why we miss the main core inside story, and as will become apparent from the discussion here. Just to begin with a short introduction, not connected to this, connected to history in general. There have been books written about this and studies done, but I don't know if to the fullest extent. How much does sexuality, what role does sexuality, has sexuality played in our history, in the formation of governments, in the conquest of empires, in the rise and fall of nations, in battles fought and wars won and lost? How much of it does, has a sexuality element in it? Whether well, it was a woman whether it was a betrayal, whether it was a lust and a desire and a coveting. So I've never seen a full study on this topic, but it would be very fascinating to know, because if it indeed is a force that shapes even politics, even of today, shouldn't we be at least aware of that? And often our arguments and the rages and the debates that rage among us may be traced to this or other issues. And that's what struck me in this entire discussion. I remember when uh, President Bush was elected, and then President Trump as well. I sensed a tremendous anger by a large segment of our society that if anyone even would voice not opposition to these, to the Republicans, was seen as being an enemy of the people. And I myself wrote some articles that were not, I can't say pro-Bush, but they were not anti, and I was literally barraged with amount of hate mail. I also got plenty of love mail, just for the record. No, and I did not need to go to therapy for this. And I really wanted to get to the bottom of it because I had no intention 
to be a partisan, nor to play politics. I have no interest in that at all. My mission in life is to present what I understand as being what God wants of us. To find our mission in life. Each of us. To live up to our spiritual destiny. And this has nothing to do with partisan, nor politics, nor any of that. So I spoke to a few friends of mine who had criticized me, who felt I betrayed the cause. And interestingly, this is a number of years ago, I said, really, what is driving the ray? What are you so angry about? Is it moral um, sense of uh, moral sense? Well, why do you feel you're more, more moral than other people are? And why do you feel so angry about it and so passionate about it to the point that you dismiss everyone that disagrees with you? You know, whenever you see someone becoming so indignant and self-righteous, you have to wonder why. Why do they, they're bigger tzaddik than others? And one person, more than one person, but one person particularly made, the, made it clear, said it's about Roe versus Wade. And I smiled to myself and I said, wow. So in 1973, there was the landmark Supreme Court decision granting the right for a woman constitutional right to an abortion and the fight then I was a kid a young person then but the fight then since then has been will that be reversed now up till then the, the, the states determined but this granted the Supreme Court granted a federal right for, for a person to have an abortion a woman to have an abortion and this person said to me this woman said we are terrified for it to be reversed so I began thinking to myself one second what, now, we're talking about abortion, obviously abortion. Um, we're not talking about situations of rape or other extenuating circumstances. That's another discussion which I'm not getting into now. But we're talking about just the right. If a person did not want to get pregnant, basically, as some women have explained to me, it was the ultimate final step in sexual freedom, being unleashed from the consequence of sex, of having free sexuality by becoming pregnant. A man never had that. A man could always walk away. But the woman has to carry a child. And as long as abortion was illegal, that was the consequence that she had to deal with. The right to have abortion gave her the right to be able to freely explore just like a man, which, of course, serves men's interest as well. Remember, Bob Dylan wrote... It was said, was interviewed in Rolling Stone magazine in 1965 when the pill came out, which was another one of the steps toward sexual revolution and freedom. He said, women shouldn't buy into this conspiracy of men to, ha- to have relationships with them, sexual relationships with them without consequences. Interesting coming from him. So what lies at the heart of, of, of many issues is this sexual freedom, which is considered a right and emancipation. And I want to talk about that in this context. So let's go back for a moment to what we've been witnessing in the last few months. Of course, the biggest opposition to Kavanaugh and other right-wing or perceived right-wing constitutionalists or justices or judges is that they may reverse the precedent of Roe versus Wade. You hear that very clearly stated. <clears throat> An ironic twist is that at the heart of, and that 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 that, li, the, that lies at the heart of the biggest opposition, more than anything else. The ironic twist is 
that this last-minute bombshell that almost torpedoed his nomination was also about, what? Sexuality. An alleged sexual assault against Dr. Ford. So as you'll see, I'm not here to discuss right and wrong and who's right and who's wrong, and I'm not here to criticize anybody. But, and, and whether you agree or disagree with the results and the politics of it, but what's fascinating is, and also painful, because the people's lives have been hurt and, and destroyed as a result, including Dr. Ford, as she testified, and other many, many victims of sexual abuse. So it's not a, just a fascinating thing, it's actually painful. But what lies at the heart is sexuality. So I want to talk about that and how it affects literally virtually everything in our society. In the last few decades, social standards have changed, where, as I said before, the sexual revolution of the 60s, and, then, and the, of course, ever since then, that which has uh, continuously developed, is that there's a right that sexuality has become divorced from the concept of sanctity, of commitment, of marriage, of building a healthy family. It's become a right, a right to my pleasure, to my leisure. I'm not suggesting everyone, but this has become a standard, something to fight for. And any way that we can eliminate the so-called side effects, quote-unquote, consequences of having that freedom is considered a forward step toward more freedom. So sexuality and and the free right that every person has to exercise as they see fit even if it has nothing to do with commitment, has become equated with freedom. It's also become equated with women's rights, the emancipation of women from being under the control of men and male hierarchies. So you can understand it's become something that is not just about sexuality, it's become about our freedom. But a freedom of what? Of being able to indulge and take care of ourselves and not necessarily build something out of it. And I, this is, what I'm saying is a critique to men and women equally. This is not a female thing. But women were the ones that benefited last. Men, unfortunately, tragically, very often did what they wished, and then they disappeared. As I remember reading an article around Roe versus Wade that one woman wrote, that now we can do the same. Till now, man can have a relationship and then disappear on you. A woman was stuck with the potential child. Now women are free of that too. So what, is that, what kind of statement about our society does that tell us? I assure you that if we had more sanctity in our relationships and our sexuality was connected to our intimacy, as we'll discuss shortly, I can assure you, I'll, just, I'll say it in a more humble way, one can wonder if that was the case, whether there would be less need and, and drive toward an abortion. And again, I'm not talking about abortion under excruciating circumstances. And whether there'd be actually less sexual assault. So I remember when we discussed the Me Too movement last year. I discussed also a similar idea. There's no question criminal activity of anyone against another using their power, using their dominance, using their strength is absolutely unacceptable. More than unacceptable. It's cruel. It's criminal. 
and a person should be prosecuted to the fullest extent. But that still does not solve the problem at the root. The problem at the root is, how do we look at sexuality and how do we look at relationships? Perhaps we've crossed boundaries before there's an assault, before there's a, an abuse. The boundaries of just respecting people's femininity and masculinity and understanding that every relationship and every engagement, even if it's seemingly neutral, has to be sacred. What is a man and woman doing together in a hotel room in the first place? And again, I'm not pointing fingers. It's the climate and the society. Look at our media. And then we yell and scream. Media, is there any sanctity to relationships? No. Now, I'm not speaking here, even though some of you may suspect me speaking as a rabbi, as a religious figure, from a religious perspective. I'm speaking purely from a psychological, healthy perspective. So I have a chapter in my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, called Intimacy. The Sanctity of Sexuality. And I present there the so-called psycho-spiritual perspective on, on intimacy from a Torah perspective, which you'll see in a moment is not a religious perspective. It's actually the, the healthiest perspective I've ever seen. So what is sexuality? Sexuality, some people would define, it's a way that two people experience the greatest pleasure. Whatever reason it is, some biological factor, that when a man and a woman are together in, that, in a sexual way, they experience high levels of pleasure and they're driven for that. So it's a need. It's not a need just like food or drink. It's a much more powerful need. And that's why it has such power over us. And there's a mystique. Everyone agrees there's a mystique to it. But is, all that, is, that, is that all that is? There is? If it is, then sexuality is something to be experienced. And then you move on. But the truth is, sexuality is about connection. It's about two people connecting in an intimate way. And intimacy is much deeper than sexuality. Sexuality can be technique, can be a physical act, can be a hedonistic act. Intimacy is a spiritual and emotional connection, in addition to the physical one. In the Torah, in the Bible, the word for sexuality, for intimacy, is called das, to know the other. Adam knew Eve. And you think knowing someone is like getting familiar with them. No, but knowing is intimate knowledge. You get to know them in their in deepest, most place, in the most vulnerable place. And that's what introduces the sanctity of sexuality. Sexuality is connected to commitment. I should say intimacy is connected to commitment. It's not only when you're being sexual that makes somebody sexual. You can be 24-7 in love with someone. And there's still an intimacy. It spills over. It's not just the act. That's why you find people who have this, perhaps a very uh, robust and a very exciting sexual life. But it's full of anxiety because it does not spill over into a full-time commitment that two people who are companions in every possible way, including perhaps the deepest way of all, their intimacy. So we have a society today that for whatever reason it is, I'm not going to analyze all the reasons, has come to a point where we have seen see it almost as a commodity, a conquest. Men saw it first that way. Perhaps women have now tried to emulate men. And it's become an end in itself. When in truth, it's a tremendous component, but component of a larger picture, which is a relationship with another person. That you can transcend yourself and experience another. It's transcendence. 
more than indulgence. And that's what gives it its intimate nature. And that's why it's connected to commitment and to marriage and to sanctity. And it needs to be looked at as entering the holy of holies. The holiest experience you can have. The most divine experience. Now, of course, there's a temptation that we all can succumb to and be seduced by just its, mere, its, its sheer power. But like any power, something extremely powerful can control us. When do you control it? And not when you control it is when you surrender and realize you don't own it. There are things in life that you cannot purchase, that you cannot just acquire. They have to emerge. And they come through effort. You don't just buy it. It's not a commodity. A loaf of bread you can buy. An automobile you can purchase. An airplane ticket. Any other of the physical commodities of this world. But when it comes to things like love, truth, soulfulness, God, integrity, trust, none of that can be bought. Why? Because it's a state of being that has to be earned. It emerges and there's a process to get there. But like anything in this commercial world, especially this fast-paced commercial world, we try to turn things into commodity. I want to own it. So we can buy sexuality, either literally or figuratively. We feel we want to own it, we want to control it. In truth, is the celebration of your vulnerability with another human being. And that is why, <clears throat> like powerful fire, it can, tr- can achieve tremendous things, but when it's harnessed, and if it's not harnessed, it can consume you. And that's why you see sexuality can destroy people, but they can build them up also to the greatest heights. And you also see it gives the power of birth. It's the only way we give birth. None of us would exist in this world if there was no sexuality. So to divorce it from that commitment, to divorce it from giving birth and so on, is in a way undermining its very power. But we try our best. And what happens? We're left with a society that may have many of their sexual needs met, but it's not building into commitment. So when I look at the story and I see the accusations and I see the people's rage and the debate and the controversy and I look at the root of it all, to me it's a commentary on our attitudes to sexuality and relationships. That's really what it comes down to. So beyond the story of the partisan polarization and partisan politics, beyond the story of the Trump unexpected presidency, beyond the story of the age of disruption in which we're living, what we have is a deeper commentary and narrative taking place, and that is what are our attitudes towards sexuality. Yes, I find it horrendous when somebody comes and claims that I was attacked, that it's dismissed. Person should be, should be, should be considered telling the truth unless proven otherwise. Just like Dr. Dr. Kavanaugh, just like Justice Kavanaugh is innocent until proven guilty, so is Dr. Ford. However, what happened? A story that's beyond both of them. People using them for their own politics, as we know. And what happens then? Everybody gets hurt and abused. And I take it a step further. The entire climate in which we live is such where we are not appreciating the sanctity of our 
most intimate and deepest parts of our lives, our sexuality, and therefore also the sanctity of whom we trust. So it becomes a circus. And this, like the two parties, each fighting over the other, black and white, this one's definitely right, this one's definitely wrong. And it becomes who's more powerful wins. When the truth is, I would submit and suggest that we all look back at ourselves and look at our attitudes to the whole picture here. It's not about whether the Supreme Court will reverse Roe versus Wade. Even if they do. I know some of you will stole me if I say that. But I'm not, I'm not advocating one way or the other. But even if they do, this doesn't mean it'll become legal. It means it'll go back to the states. But even if they do or they don't, does that solve our problems? Our problems are far deeper. We have children being born right now. Families which are torn apart and are not getting the nurturing and the nourishment that their souls need because of sexual politics or because of the politics of sexuality. When you look around, it's not a question of who's right or wrong. When you see two people fighting, what does a child come away with? That there's a war. And I submit that this war is deeper than just that. It's a war about our very essence of our very souls. So when we look at this story, and as well as many, many others, you have to get down to one thing here. It's not a question of who's right or wrong. Let's say it's proven that Dr. Ford was correct, and she was attacked by, Dr. by Justice Kavanaugh. Or let's say it was not correct, it was someone else. What do we have from that? Okay, fine, so we got clarity, we dealt with another symptom, and hopefully there will be justice one way or the other. But I'm suggesting there's a much deeper issue here. The deeper issue is, what, how is that going to solve many others that go to parties that may be assaulted? How is that going to solve the, the healthy way of experiencing intimacy? Which is the real dilemma that we have to address. And I wish this would be the headlines. But I think for many reasons it's not. Number one, it's much easier to talk about the symptoms, the obvious <clears throat> fights and partisanships, because they make for good headlines. And everybody has an agenda. People want to be in power want to stay in power. Those that don't have power want power at the expense of the rest of us. When in truth the narrative should be what is best for our culture. And the issue is not whether we'll legislate or not legislate abortion. The issue is can we hire the standard of our lives? Will anyone rise up and teach our children and teach adults and teach the Senate and teach the Republicans and the Democrats and every both sides of the aisle that there is a sanctity to life that is being lost. And it's not about legislation. It's not about forcing somebody not to have an abortion that's going to solve the problem. Educate people with a higher consciousness about sexuality, about the spirituality of sexuality, the sanctity of it, what intimacy means, what a healthy relationship means, and that way you preempt many issues. That's what's lacking. So we don't need to wait for a crime to happen, for an assault to happen, for a molestation, an abuse. We don't have to wait till it gets to a point where everyone clearly sees there's a problem. We can preempt it all, prevent it all, 
by lifting the, lifting the standards of our society. And that means educating our children, educating ourselves, that yes, it's not all about you. Freud taught that is the id that drives every person, the pleasure principle. Yes, sexuality lies at the heart of it all. It's Freudian psychology. Even though Freud has been debunked and has been uh, argued against and many people have see him as not the ultimate father of psychology, modern psychology, but he's still the guy to disagree with. And still his theories remain the dominant ones with variations and, and, and different schools of thought. Schopenhauer takes it even further and says that the whole concept of love is an illusion, is a myth. It's nature's way of deceiving us into mating. And if you think of it that way, then basically a big part of our society, all that goes into courtship and dating and going to a bar and going to a drink or going to a theater or going to any type of resort and so on, all that's so much connected to courtship is all a a nature's trick to get us to mate because the most important rule is survival of the species, survival of the fittest, perpetuation of the species. That's what lies behind sexuality. And just like it is in the animal kingdom, same it is in the human world. A very raw and very unromantic version of love. That love is a joke. You see, for example, I mean, though you do see some elaborate courtships and, and, um, and uh, antics that different species go through in order to attract a mate, but at the end of the day, it's unceremonial. There's no, it's, it's very, uh, bottom line is two bacteria have to mate and that's that. So the question is, why by human beings is courtship such a big thing and your date and there's a whole process so Schopenhauer and some others think that's a mutation. is due to a, a um, distortion in evolution and an inefficiency. It would be much more efficient if it was completely, basically, male and female mate, have a child, and we move on. What is the Torah's view on it? A very different model. God created man and woman in the divine image. Divine image created male and female, one image. Male and female, adragonous. And then separated them, and they yearn to search. They search and yearn and long to meet, to reconnect, to reunite. So, what is the essence of love? Not the purpose of mating. The essence of love is to connect with something transcendent and to reconnect to the divine image in which they were created. You tell me which is more romantic. Then God blessed Adam and Eve. May you be fruitful and multiply. As a result of this sacred union, I will bless you with children. And your children will be blessed with children. And we will have an ongoing generation after generation. It's a whole different view. Love is an end in itself. Love is unity. Love is connection. Love is intimacy. Intimacy is sanctity. Transcendence. And that transcendence can encompass a person's life and enrich their life. Instead of being anxious, creates harmony, creates peace of mind, inner peace. That's what we need to educate our generation with. And when you have that, then the whole look at sexuality is different. Sexuality is then an experience of transcendence. It's not an experience of indulgence. 
What right does one person have, God forbid, to touch another inappropriately? Definitely not assault them. And when we have that attitude, are assured that the abortion rate would go down simply because people would honor the child that they give birth to with their mate, with their husband. But take away the sanctity of sexuality so that, of course, abortion is a natural, so a natural result of that. Because, one second, you're not committed, I'm not committed. What do we need to worry about a child? We did what we wanted to do, we enjoyed ourselves, and that's that. So I'm not talking about now whether a person has a right and definitely not, as I said, extenuating circumstances and so on. We're talking something much deeper. It's not whether right. Of course, anyone can do whatever they want. No one can tell you what to do. We all can choose. But we can also choose things that are not healthy for us. So it's not about legislating it. It's about educating, inspiring. I'll share with you a story, which I don't really share because of its confidentiality, but there's no names a number of years ago, a woman came to see me. And yes, she was in a relationship. And yes, she became pregnant. And she was debating whether she should have an abortion or not. Why are you coming to me? She says, I respect you. I listen to your classes. And I really want your opinion on the matter. And then, just to the plot thickens, that she already had an abortion years ago. And says she lives with the guilt, the guilt and the pain till this very day. Can't get it out of her mind. She says, I, I killed a child of my own. That were her words. Now, I don't know if she meant killed and murder and whether this is technically correct or legally, but emotionally, that's what she felt. Something you hear less about. And she was started weeping and crying, and I say, I can't do this again. But on the other hand, my, the guy I went with, doesn't want, he's not capable of being a father. We had a one-night stand, I knew him for a little while. Maybe it was more than one night. I don't know the details. And, I, I, and he's not going to be there. Bring a child in this world without a father. I'm not even ready for it. What do you say? So, to be very honest, I wasn't here to tell her what to do. I wasn't going to preach to her. I was just empathetic. And what you do is you cry with someone. And you try empathy. You try to be there emotionally. I said to her, look... I will help and support you emotionally, whatever you want to do. You know, I'm not going to be giving you advice. I can give you some clarity. And we can talk about it. But you have to ultimately make the decision and live with your decision. And I explained to her some of what I said here now. What did I say? I said, look, I'm not talking about what your relationship with this guy was. Clearly it was not a committed one. Because he was cheating on her anyway. She told me she was connected, attached to him. She was lonely. You know, the needy situation, as she put it. So I said, we're not talking about that. That, obviously, is a problem. We're talking about what do you expect of yourself in your life? Why are you not looking to find a good man in your life, a soulmate, that you can both together, in a committed way, build a life, have beautiful intimacy, do it in a sacred way, marry, have children. And yes, want to have children in this world. What we're dealing with now is already collateral damage of a problem that began long before the, the pregnancy. That it chose the wrong type of guy for the wrong reasons in every possible way. Now, obviously, I did not say it in a critical way. I wasn't pointing fingers. I was just, I talked in the positive. 
And said, I don't believe I can really have such a good relationship with someone. So I said, why not? And of course, as you start talking, you start finding out about her parents' life, how her childhood, the lack of self-confidence, never seeing healthy love, parents not being there available for her. And I said to myself, and I said to her as well, look what's going on here. We are all casualties, war, casualties of war. We're not even making normal decisions. Why? Because we don't even expect of ourselves to be able to find what we need to find. So of course we then succumb. People are lonely. People need companionship. People need friendship. So when you're thirsty, you're hungry, you're going to drink or eat whatever comes your way. I don't even blame our society. It's like the blind leading the blind. I don't even blame our politicians because they're blind too. Just because they're sitting in Congress on the Senate, the House of Representatives on Congress and the House of Representatives and Senate does not mean that they're wiser than the rest of us. Could be they're more legal, could be they're more conniving, maybe they're more, more corrupt for all we know. And we know what's going on there. Forget about that. They talk about hypocrisy. <laughs> I would like all of them to present their high school yearbooks. And let's talk about their high school years. But, of course, the answer will be, but I'm not running for Supreme Court justice. But you're in the Senate. What do you mean? You legislate law for this country. My and my children and my family are dependent on you. You're a lawmaker. Was that not valuable enough? As a matter of fact, the Supreme Court should not be legislating law. They uphold law. They interpret law. You're writing laws. So what do you have? No standards. So this is the hypocrisy. But on the other hand, I really don't blame them all. I think we're in a vicious cycle where nobody is leading. There is no leadership, and there's no direction, there's no guidance. Everybody's guilty of the same things, no matter what party you're talking about. I wish someone would say that. But here the point is not about being guilty. What do we do about it? So I feel blessed. I'm not here to suggest I'm the only one that sees it clearly. But I do believe I see some clarity here, based on where I grew up, based on what I see, and based on the fact, actually, that I'm apolitical, frankly. And I think the issue here is that all of us have to join together. Of all parties and no parties, and look at what we're doing with our society. The founding fathers, for all their, all their faults, understood something that was transcendent. They understood that they're going to craft and build a nation that would transcend the differences. And they built in, and, prob- and, and it was with divine help, there's no question, with divine grace, the wisdom of creating a republic that guarantees human rights to all. They didn't say only to, uh, with conditions. God, all men are created equal. Read, all people are created equal. And endowed by the creator with unalienable rights. Everyone. Not Republican, not only Republicans, not only Democrats, not only Whigs, not only all the other parties that existed then. Not only believers, not only atheists, everybody. They, they, principles that everybody can embrace and everybody benefits from. That's the vision we need today. Someone to get up and say, in the spirit of the Constitution, what is the way of, what is healthy sexuality? What is healthy intimacy? What is building families? What are our responsibilities? Of course there's going to be difference of opinion. But the fundamentals, can anyone disagree that all men are created equal? Can anyone disagree that we are all endowed with equal rights by the Creator? And the Creator also created us with sexuality and told us, keep it sacred. Make it intimate. Make it commitment it's not just for your pleasure it's not just to deal with as you wish now if you don't have that attitude obviously we're going to have a society like ours where people indulge and there will be the needs 
of trying to deal with the consequences, whether it's through abortion or through other methods. And there's going to be, unfortunately, abuse and so on. But if we heighten the standard, if our children learned about the sanctity, don't you think it can contribute and perhaps a child thinking second time as they go into adults that I do not touch another person without their permission? Or in general, I don't touch somebody else without a sacred environment. Obviously, if we heighten our relationships to that level, everybody would benefit. Everybody. And we would preempt a lot of these things that we're dealing with right now. The debate, the debate wouldn't be around Roe versus Wade. The debate would be, how do we build healthy relationships? And that's what I told that woman. Not quite in these words, but... you want to know the end of the story? She's married today, happily. Had a child. Found a guy a little later. Another guy. Married and has a few more children. She turned her life around. And she embraced her child. And I now tell her to do that. What I wanted to do, which I thank God was able to some way build in her the confidence that she could marry. And marry someone good. And have a healthy life. And she's very happy. She thanks me very often for it. And I'm not told, it's not about me. I'm just telling the story because it happened with me. And I can tell you this can happen with every one of us. We need to start believing in ourselves more. We need people that believe in us. We need people to also give direction and confidence that you can build a healthy relationship. You don't have to compromise yourself. And then, okay, what do I do now? I got myself into trouble. Don't get yourself into trouble in the first place. You're a sacred person. You deserve the best. Why not find the best soulmate you can find? That's the, 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 the conversation that we should be having. That would preempt so much. Now, I know we have to deal with things on the ground. I'm not naive and so on. But I still believe that we have to look to the horizons, look up to heaven, and look for higher standards and teach it to our children. Oh, do we need leaders that can speak this way? That's what we need today. This is what came to mind after viewing. I knew something was bothering me, and that's what bothered me, and that lies, in my view, the heart of the whole discussion. Because this debate's going to rage on, and it'll, and it'll be whatever. It'll be forever. No one will ever resolve this. Guaranteed. And I'm sure, God forbid, there are going to be more instances. Let us come to a place where the whole quality of our lives is elevated and transformed. And I would advise everyone to read the chapter called Intimacy in my book. Is this a plug for my book? Maybe. But it's still worth it. Unbelievable ideas. And they're not my own. They come straight from Torah thinking, but presented in a very accessible 21st century language. This is what we need to be looking for. I remember, you all remember the, the wardrobe malfunction, Janet Jackson. Back a few years ago, the Super Bowl, mid, uh, Super Bowl uh, halftime show. The outrage, the outrage. And then I remember looking and saying, okay, this is television for children. How could such a thing happen? Turn the channel or turn that same channel and watch another show. And yes, you don't have exposure perhaps like that, or nudity, but you have one step before it. Look how people, there's no sanctity to relationships. Everybody's sleeping with everybody. There's no concept, even the concept of marriage is almost non-existent on regular television. So tell me, in such a climate, why is this suddenly the greatest crime? And I'm not advocating and saying it was all fine. But the outrage, because for commercial reasons, doesn't look right. Children are watching 
But we live in a society that's feeding a sexuality that is undisciplined, that's self-indulgent, that could even be violent, rage and anger, and all that comes with it. And then we yell and scream when we see a crime, when we see an abuse. Now I said, I'm not suggesting that a criminal act, sexual act, is the same as just permissiveness. But do you think one environment, uh, the environment of permissiveness does not help create a breeding ground? So my suggestion is that we have to go back to the beginning and re- revisit and reconnect to what the meaning and revisit and reclaim the innocence of our sexuality. Look at children, how they innocent they are. They're not even sensitive. They're not even aware of their own sexuality. Why? Because they're not conscious. Because this is part of our creation. That's who we are. There's nothing to be conscious of. We become conscious when our adults are conscious. And it becomes something that we are ashamed of, ugly, or we feel feeds into our most base form of behavior. I would also say a big part is the attitude of certain religions and one of the major religions in the world that sexuality is like a necessary evil. It's not. It's the most sacred possible thing we can do. It can be evil and it can be used in the wrong ways and it can be abused. But I think part of that attitude has also distorted the view on sexuality and therefore it's something like a, a um, what's the word I want to use? It's an aberration. It's something forbidden, the forbidden fruit. And forbidden is pleasurable. The truth of the matter is, there's a mystique to it, but it's because of its sanctity, because of its transcendence. So we, look at, we live in a society that sees it forbidden. And since it's forbidden, it becomes more pleasurable, and the pleasure has shame to it, and it, does, and, and it loses its, its holistic and its sanct, sanct, sacred and transcendent dimension. That's what happens when you turn it into a necessary evil, so to speak. It's not evil. It's divine and holy. Everything divine and holy is very powerful. Going into the holy of holies. So it can be going one direction, another direction. But if you don't think of it as holy in the first place, then what do you do? Then, then what is there to be? What, is, what are you holding sacred exactly? You do it, but in a way that you don't have the sanctity that's necessary. So all this is part of the attitudes that our society has that need to be changed. And I hope this conversation, this discussion here, is going to be a, will, will, will spark and ignite conversation, at least for those of you that listen to this. And I hope you share it with others. Because to me, these are the real headlines. And this is also something we can do something about. This isn't about just getting stuck in the partisan politics and the political vortex that's really going nowhere. It allows us to get to free ourselves from the shackles and the trappings of politics, of closed-minded attitudes, and open up new horizons of new possibilities of who we are, what we're capable of, our relationships, our sexuality, our intimacy. That's the direction we should be going. When you don't have that, then sexuality becomes a force, a political force that, beca- that, that shapes minds, creates locked-in positions because people are trying to protect their little turf. What I'm suggesting is let's really you want real sexual freedom, real emancipation, is to broaden the whole conversation, to lift the standard 
of what relationships are really about. That's the true story. And I hope to talk more about this topic because it deserves to be talked about. But I don't want to over, also overdo it because it's important to get the Met keep stick to the message and stick to the script, so to speak. Not exactly the script, but the message. And that is each of you, each of us, can learn tremendous lessons from what happened the last few weeks, last few months, last years. Everything is a lesson. And the lesson is we need to be, create the best defense is offense. It's not just legislation. Obviously, we need strong laws that prevent abuse and assault and protect our children and so on. That's all defense. Obviously, we need to do everything possible to help people in need in whatever situation they may be in. But then there's preventive medicine, preemptive medicine. We need to also learn from this what are the deeper roots, not the symptoms, not just the band-aids to deal with immediate pain, immediate problem. What are the deeper roots? And the deeper roots, my friends, is to go back to what is the definition of sexuality. Just like the Me Too movement shouldn't just be Me Too, I too was abused and therefore I join you in your pain. Me Too should be Me Too will rise to the occasion and let's create higher standards of what we expect from each other, what men expect from women, what women expect from men. Let's create higher standards of our relationships with each other. Higher standard of what marriage, a healthy marriage means, an enduring and lasting relationship, one that builds a healthy family, brings healthy children to the world who will then perpetuate that healthy relationship and healthy sexuality. That's the me too. And the lessons that we learn from this is the same thing. Not just who's right and who's wrong. Let's get to a situation where we can prevent many of these type of episodes because we're going back not the partisan politics using the situation just to win or to make gains or to belittle the other side, but rather to build a healthier society, a healthier world. That's the approach we need to be taking. I welcome any of your comments, your critique, your support in every possible way. This is what we're here for, the Meaningful Life Center, trying to address topics that others don't address in a blunt and candid way, without mincing words. I hope I did some justice to this topic. I'm speaking somewhat, you know, from my gut, from my heart, based on what I'm witnessing. And I really want to wish all of us, each one of us, the strength, the fortitude, the clarity, the courage, yes, the courage to dare to build healthier relationships. You don't have to give in to other people's pressure. You don't have to follow and conform to other people's standards. It's going to take a few of us who will buck the trend, who will go against the tide and will say, no, I'm going to stand up for myself, for my sanctity. I love it when I hear a woman or a man say to me, I went on a date and I said, no, I'm not looking just to go into bed. I'm looking to build a relationship. And it doesn't always sound popular. It sounds prudish at times. But then I find couples who actually meet each other that way and they build lives that are great sexual lives and intimate lives, but they also have that measure of sanctity. You don't have to give in, and you don't have to surrender, and you don't have to become another statistic. We're either part of the problem or part of the solution. I like to believe that I, the Meaningful Life Center, and all of us that we, and our entire staff, and all the people we in touch with are part of the solution. Join us. We join you. Let's join together and be part of the solution to make things happen, not to watch things happen or to ask what happened.
to shape the future, to be proactive, and to be preemptive. God bless you all. The politics of, sexu- of sexuality is to get to a place that's beyond politics and beyond partisanships, a place of love and understanding where we can have diversity, but in a completely respectful way. There's no question that battles of this nature also feed into the hedonistic sexual approach. It may not be raw sexuality, but it's also part of that. Let us build a better society. Let us join together and be part of the solution. Thank you so much. MeaningfulLife.com is a place where you can find many resources on this topic and others. Please share this with others. We hope to get this message out. I think it's a vital one for every one of us to hear, especially in this climate and this environment. And looking forward to building a much more brighter and beautiful world with all the opportunities and gifts that we have today. We really have no excuse. Our grandparents did not have these gifts and these opportunities and these freedoms. So let us embrace these universal truths that we hold self-evident and introduce them and, and, and infuse them into our daily society, especially in our relationships, our sexuality, and our intimacy. Everyone have a very good week. We're here from Wednesday, every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. And it's an honor and pleasure to be part of your life. Thank you for your attention and thank you for your support and thank you for your friendship. Be well.